The book of Isaiah brings together the ultimate picture of salvation and the new creation in one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture, followed by one of the strangest endings in Scripture. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Um, welcome today. It's going to be an awesome time because we're finishing up the book of Isaiah. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel like this has been a, a mini Bible trek oh. in, its, in itself. Surely has four weeks of Isaiah, and we didn't even like scratch the surface of this beautiful book. It's filled with wrath. It's filled with glory. It's filled with grace. It's filled with gospel, and it's filled with all the good stuff. You can spend your whole life just in this book. Absolutely. Pretty much. Yep. Absolutely. So we're in the prophetic literature. We're in the first one. Major prophets right That's now. That's right. First book, incredibly important book, Isaiah, right? So we've seen the introduction of this man, Isaiah, mm-hmm. his ministry, his vision of God's glory, and the the prophecies of the Messiah, as we saw in the early chapters, followed by a lot of talk about the judgment coming upon Israel and all the nations, mm-hmm. that God is sovereign over all nations, yep. and so he will bring judgment on all nations. He'll bring judgment on the entire earth, on Satan, right? He will defeat evil, and there will be a resurrection, Right, And then we saw this interlude where this picture of Hezekiah and his faith in God, mm-hmm. how he turns to God and depends on God and God rescues him from danger right. and how God destroys the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. And then we enter into chapter 40, this new section where we see an, an incredible picture of the servant of the Lord, mm. who we saw that phrase can refer to Israel in their corporate role and also to Jesus, the, this coming Messiah, in his role as a uh, corporate representative right. for the the people, yeah, and so he's the one who suffers and dies according to Isaiah tw- uh, fifty three. Yeah, atones for the sins of the people. That's right. Uh, yeah, so incredible, um, you know, foretelling of what's going to happen on the cross. Yeah, in and that so, passage, some of the the clearest examples this far in the Bible about what the Messiah is going to do. Like we, right. And we've been hoping for this since the third chapter of the Bible, and we finally get to see some more details here. Yeah. Um, but we're not finished with Isaiah. We still have some more to learn. So um, today we're going to be in verse or uh, chapters fifty-four to the end, the last ten or so chapters, ten or twelve chapters. Um, so today, what are the major themes that we're going to be dealing with? Yeah. So we're going to see a lot about heaven and hell. Yeah. The new creation, resurrection, these things that we've said already. Isaiah has probably given us more than any other book yeah. on that topic. But now we're going to see that fleshed out a lot more. Very cool. So, yes, and and I, like you said, a very strange ending to the book mm-hmm. that is, is super important. Right. You know, why does it end on this really uh, rough note? Again. So if you haven't read it, it's it's very interesting. Very cool. So we'll look at that. So we have the structures of the books. The, obviously, the first one through 39 we've talked about a couple times. It, if you're generally organizing it, Old Testament, Old Covenant, right? Yeah, kind of so. Old Covenant, more judgment-focused. And then starting in Chapter 40, this, it kind of gets this lighter feel, and it's more focused on the new covenant that's to come mm-hmm. um, and God's salvation that's to come. So we saw chapters 40 to 55 are about the servant of the Lord. We didn't actually finish that section mm-hmm. because we spent so much time on 53, but we'll look at the very end of that, and then we'll look at chapters 56 to 66, which talk about future hope. Awesome, yeah. And and just to give a quick snapshot, historically, where are we at in the life of Israel at the time of this writing of Isaiah. Yeah, so this is um, right around the time of the, the fall of the Northern Kingdom, mm-hmm. and um, 
the the or sorry right before that right and um and so he's kind of the the forerunner to a lot of these prophets that will come later and uh so we're gonna we're gonna see this is about seventh century when this is happening so he's predicting things that will happen much in the future right so yeah let's let's dive into this there's so much good stuff here so we're starting in are we gonna kind of take off a little bit in uh what chapter are we starting in? So we're let's start in 55. 55, okay. 55. Cool. So there's so much good stuff in 55 that really, um, a lot of this language will be familiar to you. Mm-hmm. So 55, look at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wow. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You, satisfy. So he's speaking of... This invitation from God to partake in salvation and in blessing, right. and that can only come from God. Um, <clears throat> talks about this everlasting covenant he's going to make with them on behalf of his servant David. And uh, we see in verse 6, it says, <clears throat> Seek the Lord while he may be found. Hmm. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Mm. So God is inviting them, just like he did in chapter one, right? right? Come, let us reason together. Now he's saying, come, seek God, return to him. God's going to have compassion on you. And why why would God forgive? Why would he pardon? Well, because verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, (laughs) neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. That's a good thing, huh? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So this may not make sense to you. This may not be what you would do in God's shoes, but God is gracious and loving. And praise the Lord that he is. So, yeah, incredible, incredible word. In fact, another really famous passage just right after that. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, yet it shall accomplish th- that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Mm. God's word is powerful. So God is speaking words of compassion and forgiveness, and he's saying that will be accomplished. Right. Amazing stuff. So, so that's, that's kind of the end of that section. And then we start a new section in chapter 56 where we look forward to future hope. So what's God going to do at the end of history? Yeah. And uh, it, Isaiah doesn't just give us an incredible view of God, although it does. It doesn't just, get, just paint a amazing picture of the Messiah, but he also gives us a final view to the end of history, mm-hmm. to what will happen at the very end and what God's final plan of redemption is. Very cool. So it's not just about what we saw in Isaiah 53, which is to cleanse us of sins, to uh, account us as righteous, to justify us. Right. It's not just for individuals; it's for the corporate entity of, of Israel, right. and it's for the whole world and the whole and the whole creation. Awesome! So that's what we're going to see here: that God is going to redeem all things in the creation. And so we have this window open to us in the Scriptures to the end that hasn't previously been opened. Hmm. So it's very it's very uh, unique in that way. So, chapter fifty six, we see salvation is going to come to the Gentiles. Verse chapter fifty six, verse three. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Yeah. Right? If you're a foreigner and you've come to God, you're his people now. Right, yeah, we've got a taste of that. I mean, you see like glimpses of that in the Old Testament, but specifically, specifically in Isaiah, you see it with Assyria and Egypt, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not just the people of Israel that are part of the graciousness of God. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah. 
And then he says, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree, right? Someone who can't have kids, right. well, I'm worthless. No, he says, to, thus say, says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my <laughs> walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Yeah. So God is going to give them something that will last. I, I was thinking, the thought just kind of hit me as I was thinking about you know, the story in Acts chapter 8. I'm sure many people have observed this. I'm sure I've heard it a thousand times. But in Acts chapter 8, he, the eunuch is reading from 53. Isaiah 53. Yeah. And so I wonder, I just wonder if after he <laughs> was saved, right, and baptized, he and he had Philip explain this to him, if he kept reading. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I wonder that. And like, and this eunuch, this this uh, person who's just a slave and a servant in the house, and mm. is God is saying to that kind of person right. specifically that you have, that you're valued. Right. And it's true in our day and age as well. If you're, I know we don't value kids as much as they did back then, which is sad. But even if today, if you, you can't have kids for some reason, right? If you feel like because of that, you're somehow less than, God gives you a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Yeah. And I, I would say that's you can have sons and daughters in the faith, right? Yeah. You can bring people to God. You can glorify him in the greatest way. That's even greater than having kids. Like I loved the birth of my kids. I think I'll be even happier when they're born again. Hmm. So that's what we should be, we should be aiming for. So he, he goes on, right? And in this section, he addresses some of the same ethical issues that came up earlier in the book. Right. So we see in chapter 57, we see a focus on idolatry. Chapter 58, we see a focus on false religion. Mm-hmm. And then we see in chapter 59 that God is going to deal with this injustice. He's going to be the one who will deal with this. So we see this in chapter 59, verse 15. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So he goes to bring justice and uh, recompense to the to the wicked. Right. And this is an interesting imagery of God putting on armor. Right. The armor of God. Right. So of course that comes into play later in the Bible. What is, what is this language with the coastlands that keeps popping up and it's talking about the Redeemer? I, it's a good, good question. I don't know. I haven't I looked keeps, into that. I just noticed it. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of think uh, this may be wrong, but I think in terms of like the farthest reaches, like right. I think like well, okay, we're on the, we're you know like one of the first furthest places in the world from from Israel. Like yeah. we're kind of the coastlands. Maybe, yeah, maybe more, I'm just thinking morally I'm or you know, they're just geography, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah both. Yeah. Uh, but I, I actually don't know. That's just my eisegesis. I'm totally putting in my own interpretation. So oh, don't wow. listen to me at all. Wow. Awesome. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. Good question. Anyway. And God's spirit is going to be put on his people. 59 verse 21. My, uh, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you mm-hmm. and my words I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hmm. God is going to give his spirit and glory is coming. Right. As we've been looking for and searching for the entire book, Right. When is there going to be the, the whole earth full of his glory? Mm-hmm. Well, chapter 60, verse 1, right? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. 
and nations sh- shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So, so Israel is going to be a glorious place because God will be present there mm. and he'll bring glory and blessing to them. So we're starting to see some of what the end is going to look like yeah. in sharper relief. It's going to be a time where that glory is going to shine so brightly that there won't be, there won't be a need of any other lights. So yep. 60 verse 19, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. Yeah. This and your God will be your glory. 22, right? Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning, M-O-U-R-N, that's weeping, right, shall yeah. be ended. Hmm. Yeah, we pray for and hope for those days, right? We long for those days, but they're not here Amen. yet. Yeah. Not yet. One day. Amen. So God is, is bringing this blessing and glory into the world, and it's gonna, that's going to happen, as we've already seen, it's going to happen by the hand of his servant. Mm-hmm. So we see another another picture of that servant in chapter 61, verse 1, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. I, I hope with all these passages you're like, ring, 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 like there's something familiar about this, at the very least, right? right? Um, the Lord has appointed me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So there's going to be a year of jubilee, mm-hmm. right? A year of freedom, a year of healing. Um, this is this is you know that what the Messiah brings in. Right. He's the anointed one. Right. We see that word anointed in verse one. He's this is the Messiah. So that word comes from his anointed. So he's going to be the one who brings in this this new reality. Yeah. And the joy and the healing that comes from it, and he's going to empower all of us to be priests of God. Mm-hmm. Verse six, chapter sixty-one, verse six: You shall be called the priests of the Lord. That was God's intention throughout all of history. Right? Exodus nineteen: mm. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yeah. Uh, well, when when Christ comes and when he he ransoms the church, we become priests for him. And First Peter uses that same language from Exodus nineteen. That happens because God has empowered us that way, that we shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. Right? I mean, that's, that is the, the role that we have in the world, to intercede for the world, to give this message from God that we have because we've been entrusted with it. Right. Yeah, so, amen. yeah, incredible, incredible uh, language. In chapter 62, we see the salvation of Zion, and that's you know Jerusalem, right? If you remember, right? That that's the mount where the the temple is placed, and mm-hmm. the city is built around that. So Jerusalem. So as we've seen throughout the Old Testament, Jerusalem is the focal point of God's salvation activities. Mm-hmm. And so God is going to ha- take special care to r- redeem and re- rescue Zion at the end. Right. And we've seen that already. He's going to you know lift it up as the highest mountain in the land and everyone will flow to it. So this is the focal point of God's salvation. And this goes back again, just to tie in some previous things. Jerusalem is the city of David. Mm -hmm. So it's where David became king and it's where God's covenant with David was made. Right. It's even before that though, it was the home of Melchizedek, Mm -hmm. right? Salem, it was called back then, but probably the same region. And Melchizedek was this, this priest king. Mm Mm-hmm. That points forward to Jesus and who he is. Yep. This is the same region where Abraham offered Isaac mm-hmm. or almost offered Isaac. 
And this, of course, is where Jesus himself will will die and be raised. Yep. This, uh, uh, Jerusalem is the this focal point in terms of location of where God works his redemption yeah. for his people. So, and this is also the final picture of salvation in the Bible, mm-hmm. a new Jerusalem, yep. a new redeemed Zion. Chapter 63, we see God brings vengeance, but also responds in mercy. And so there's this prayer where they're asking God for mercy, and that's continued in chapter 64. Um, some, some more really famous passages here. 64 verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mi- mountains might quake at your presence. Verse 4, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen as God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. Hmm. It's a great verse. That's a, that's a good memory verse right there as well. Yeah. To wait on God, to trust in him, to know. And again, if you know his identity and, and his, his character from this book, you have to wait on him. You have to right. trust that whatever he sends your way, he's got a purpose for it. Right. An ultimate plan of redemption. That's good. 64.5, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you and your ways, behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? And there's this confession in verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Hmm. So we are sinful. (laughs) Even our best actions, our righteous deeds are filthy, disgusting rags to God. And so the book is leading us, as it has the whole time, it's leading us to this final response. How are we going to respond? Given that we are like Isaiah, we say, woe woe is me, right? Right. Uh, Even that Isaiah 64, 6 is true of us. Mm-hmm. How are we going to respond at the end of the book? In 65, we see that God's going to judge those who reject him, as we've seen before, right? That He goes back to talking about how 65, too, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people. Yeah, so there's still the reality that if yeah. you, if, yeah, God's going to be gracious, but it is, if you're still rebellious to him, if you still run from God, there's still consequences, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So he's, He's bringing that back and saying, look, there is, yes, God is going to save, but that means it, it kind of starting to ask the question of which side are you on? Who who are you standing with, right? Are you submitting to God? Are you honoring him? Are you living your life against him? Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost even like it's a rejecting God almost to me as we work through the Bible and even like to present day today. As you reject God, it's almost more scary the further in history you get because look how much grace and work and and love of God has been revealed in the scriptures. And to reject that is even more weight against yourself, right? Like all the grace that Isaiah is talking about here, and all of a sudden we come to this, but remember, you still need to turn to God in repentance and faithfulness. And if you don't, the consequences are great. But look at the offer of the love of God. Like you could have this. Just turn to God. Trust Him, you know? Yeah, and again, I mean, this is like I was, you know, raised in the faith. I'm sure not everyone listening was, right? You, you weren't, but to to read something like this for the first time or to understand these truths for the first time mm. must be overwhelming. Of, I mean, God has been throughout history patient with people and calling to people, and people have been ignoring Him, and God's been destroying them. Yeah. And now I look back on the last however many years of my life, and I've been running from God. I've been rejecting Him. Like I, I'm in danger. Right. <laughs> That's what this is pointing us to at the end here, right? That there's verse 3 of chapter 65, a people who provoke me to my face continually, mm. right? Verse 4, who sit in tombs, right? So unclean places, 
spend the night in secret places who eat pig's flesh. That was not good back then, right? But today, can we eat bacon? Today, please do. Yes, the Lord is good. Heavily encouraged. Um, And broth of tainted meat in their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am too holy for you. Hmm. So you're doing all these things that pollute you and are disgusting and yet you're looking at others and saying, I'm I'm too good for you. Hmm. And this is how Jesus saw the Pharisees. (laughs) Right. We've already seen that he several times refers to them in the similar language as Isaiah. Um, this is how God sees any righteousness that we do. Mm-hmm. You may say, well, I, don't, I wouldn't break the law like that. It, it's the heart condition. Yeah. That's what he's mostly focused on, right? What is in our hearts. And so if we do those kinds of sins and we look down at others and say they're unholy, they're, we're too holy for them. Well, I mean, if you say a statement like that, like, oh, I wouldn't sin like that, you're doing the exact same thing. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we see this this um, this you know being clarified for us at the end here, and then chapter sixty five verse seventeen, the final segment of the the book really is this picture of the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. So we're talking about new heavens and new earth. We're we're saying that the final reality for humans, the final destination for God's people, is not heaven. It's not the spiritual realm. It's something beyond that. Something a like culmination of the bringing together of heaven and earth, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that may sound like we're talking about pure heresy here. Yeah. So I want to make sure that you understand what we're saying. So you, when you die as a believer, you go to heaven. You're mm-hmm. in the presence of God, right? To be, to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord, as Paul says. But God wants to, res- he will resurrect our bodies, right? He will make us new. He will take our bodies out of the grave and make us physical creatures once again, right. not disembodied spirits. So that final resurrection that happened with Christ is going to happen to us as well. Right. But it's not just us. The whole creation will be remade. Right. God's not going to allow his creation that was tainted and destroyed in the fall to, to be lost. Right. He's going to remake it, renew it, in order that humans can live on it and that he can dwell with man on that Edenic paradise mm-hmm. brought to its ultimate culmination, right? It's, right. its apex uh, forever. Right, it's like Eden, but it's different from Eden. Yes, right? it's new. It's a garden, but it's a city as right. well. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 better. It's more beautiful. Yeah, there's not lamps in the sky, but there's the light of God. So it's like but different, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so we see this. So we see this language, right? Um, chapter sixty-five, verse seventeen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Hmm. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. So God's going to create something new and he goes into talking in detail about what that will look like. I will, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. There's no sadness. There's nothing wrong to be upset about. Verse 20, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So there's going to be fullness of life. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I wonder how many parents can take refuge in that, knowing that there's not going to be any infants that die. Right. right? I mean, what, what a tragedy if someone loses a child, has a miscarriage, something like that. There's, there's a promise of life here. Now, obviously, it's, it's a little strange to say someone's going to die at a hundred years old. Because we we would say you rest of scripture, new heavens, new earth, you don't die. Right. So what is it? What is it talking about when it says the young man shall die a hundred years old? Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, this is a, it's admittedly a, t- a challenging phrase, and this, you know, the one after as well, but because there's also not going to be any sinners there. So a sinner yeah. 100 years old should be a curse. So what is it saying? Well, what, it's, what I think it's saying is if someone were to die at 100 years old, they would be considered a child. Hmm. Right? So, so, and this different versions will phrase it a little bit differently. If someone were to die 100 years old, they would be seen as under the curse. Right. So that's how that's how our perspective will change. Where we say, "Wow, he only lived. He only lived to be a hundred years old." Right. Oh my goodness. So the <laughs> idea is one of longevity, of indestructible life. Yeah. And again, you look at other passages to clarify that as well. Some people will say, and this is possible. Some people say this is a picture of the millennial kingdom. I some Christ okay, comes to reign on the earth. Yeah. That's a oh sorry for a different time, but yeah. uh, which is is also possible. But yeah. I, I'd kind of lean towards this is new heaven, the new earth. So this is the final consummation of all things. Right. So anyway, um, but yeah, God's going to give blessing, right? They shall build houses and inhabits. They'll, they'll, they'll bear children, right? They will not, they will not be cursed. And again, we would say in the new heavens and new earth, we won't bear children. So the, but the picture is um, one of fullness, mm-hmm. right? Of indestructible life, of everything that you longed for is coming to fruition in the new heavens and new earth. Right. So, um, and then, it says, verse 25, the wolf and lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. Nice. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Yeah, that's a fascinating verse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the so wolf all your, and all your exotic dreams come true, dude. You can have a, <laughs> can have a lion. <laughs> well, just obviously the imagery. We've seen this before in Isaiah where, you know, towards the beginning when the lion eats with the lamb and, like, there's peace. It's, you know, like you said, it's back with Eden. But the serpent isn't changed, right? So yeah, the serpent is still cursed. So we see this picture of yeah, life and fulfillment and everything is what it was in Eden, mm-hmm. but the curse on the serpent remains. Right. So it's a picture of a curse against Satan, right? His destruction. So there will be judgment on him. It won't just it won't just be just a covering over, a smoothing over of everything bad and acting like everything is good. This is a true fixing of what is wrong in the world. And going as far as to get rid of, to destroy the fundamental problem in the world, which is Satan's lies, right? His rebellion against God. Right. So the serpent will be destroyed. So, yeah, incredible, incredible stuff. And then we see chapter 66, verse 1, the importance of, in light of this, responding in humility. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? This is like Second Samuel 7. Right. Kind of kind of language, right? It's this, uh, you know, building of the temple. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Hmm. Do, we, do we tremble at God's word? I, I think I think we, we more often exalt ourselves against God's word and say, ah, hmm. God didn't actually mean that, right? It, did God actually say that? Right? We, yeah. we think in terms of the serpent more than saying, I have to be faithful and, and to take in everything in God's word. Yeah, I mean, to, I mean, when I think of like trembling is, is obviously like heeding and like holding it with reverence, but it's also just to like be aware of it. If I'm afraid of, if I'm trembling of something in the room, I'm aware of that thing, right? Yeah. And I think for too many Christians, like we're not even aware of the power of God's word in our life. So we ignore it. We don't read it. We don't use it when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're worried. We, yeah. we don't go to that, you know? So Yeah. I think that's very true. Yeah, that's kind of the baseline is you have to know it. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> so do we tremble it. at God's word? Well, we should. Yeah. We should. Yeah. We should. 
And then we see glory being brought into, the glory of the nations being brought into Israel. Verse 12 of chapter 66, right? I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. This is the final, the final creation of God, and it comes with a judgment. So the very mm. end says, so Isaiah 66, 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, mm-hmm. says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Let's bring it back in Genesis 3.15, offspring, the name idea from Genesis 12. For from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And that's the end. That is the last verse. Oh, wait. No. So that would have been that was such a good ending right there, right? Yeah, everything's going to be new. I'm going to remember you. I'm going to, everyone's going to worship me, right? That's that glory picture. It's extended to everyone. But there's one more verse. It's like the perfect symphony has been brought together. And then there's one just like eh, note at the very end. <laughs> And it's very strange, right? So we have yeah. to acknowledge that. Verse 24 says, They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Mm. The end. The end. So would you expect anything less from a prophet? Yeah, to totally <laughs> just like mess with us. And, and, and I love how I do these things because it, it makes you think. It makes you meditate. Like, wait, wait, wait. And I thought about this so much. It just it sticks out. You have so much good and so much positive, beautiful stuff, and then that at the end. And I think the the reality is that the prophet is so he's speaking about hell. So this right. this language is used later of hell, yeah, in the place where the worm shall not die. So it's a picture of this worm eating uh, a person, the fire that, that that does doesn't stop burning, right? Eternal punishment, whether you're taking those super literally or not. That the clear indication is. This is a place of eternal po- torment. Right. That's the picture. That they you never stop suffering in this place. Right. This is this is intense. So what? Why is it? Why is it saying this at the end? Well, I think it's pushing us again to make a choice. Hmm. To 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 think in terms of okay, this is not just goodness at the end. There's also the punishment on the serpent. There's also the punishment on those who align themselves with the serpent. Right. So who will you be? Right. What will, will you be faithful to God? Will you not? Will you, going back to chapter one, will you come to God and reason with him and receive forgiveness and be faithful to him? Yeah. So it's a good place for us to end as well. Yeah. This, I mean, the reality of hell is something that we so rarely talk about in our world today. And it's so important that there is an end coming for those who will reject God. Right. And it is eternity away from God's goodness. Right. And in solely with his wrath and his justice and his judgment. And that is a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. So turn to Jesus, right? Turn to Jesus, absolutely. Which we should do as well yeah. as we end here. But um, a couple of things that I would say from from this passage that are important. Obviously, like the number one thing that we can think of ending on that note is that what Jesus endured on the cross was the the fullness of what hell is. Mm. Uh, he didn't. He did not go to hell, in my opinion. He did not descend to hell, but he did on the cross endure what hell is, which is separation from God. God turned his back on Jesus. The eternal relationship and love they had was was broken in that moment, and God poured out His wrath and His justice on Jesus. Right. He took the fullness of what hell is all about. Mm. And so in that moment, he tasted of hell for us, so to speak. 
And so that was done so that you and I would not have to endure hell. Right. So and don't don't focus uh, don't focus so much on thinking that hell is offensive that you forget <laughs> the reality that it's true. Right. That because your righteous deeds are like filthy rags, God has judgment stored up mm-hmm. for those who will refuse to come to Him and instead live their lives in constant rebellion, like Israel did. Right. So repent, repent, come to Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's what the Bible is telling us again and again and again. And so Jesus tells us, yeah. Absolutely, right? Do not fear those who can destroy the body and after that do nothing else. Right. Fear him who after he has destroyed your body can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm-hmm. Jesus is very clear about this. Right. Other things that we see, I don't try to move on from that, but other things that we see that are, are really important the armor of God picture that mm-hmm. we saw in Isaiah 59. Right. That is brought back again in, in the writings of Paul, right? In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, that we are to put on the armor of God. That just as God has this armor that he clothes himself with to fight against evil, to bring justice, that we are somehow given that armor. Mm-hmm. And that some of the same terms are used, right? We have the helmet of salvation, just like God does. So God has gifted us in a way where we can equip ourselves with his own armor. It's pretty pretty incredible. Or obviously another obvious one that you that may have rung a bell with you is Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to turn there as soon as I can here. Luke chapter 4 when Jesus gets up in front of the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah where he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? <laughs> Isaiah 61. Because he was anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, et cetera, et cetera. And it says he rolled up the scroll and gave back the attendant and sat down. And he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Hmm. Jesus is not subtle about his connection to the Isaiah prophecy. He's very (laughs) clear. This is me. The Messiah, the servant of the Lord, the one you've been waiting for, that is me. And I'm fulfilling this. Yeah. And then, of course, we couldn't we couldn't do justice to this end of Isaiah without looking at the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. All throughout this text, you, you hear you hear lines that are quoted again in the book of Revelation. Oh yeah. So we see a, a new, well, just the first beginning of Revelation twenty one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. For the first heaven, the first earth that passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it talks about how to wipe away the tears from their eyes. There'll be no mourning or crying or pain. Yep. We see in Revelation 22, we see this city in, in detail, right? Like you said, that there's there's no longer uh, a sun, right? Well, actually, that's Revelation 21, 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Mm-hmm. And its lamp is the lamb. That's from Isaiah 24, by its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Mm-hmm. That's Isaiah. Um, nothing detestable will ever come into the city. Right. And and then we at the end, we hear this call from, from the, the angel, right, mm-hmm. from God uh, through his angel to come, right, to come and, and drink of the, the water, drink of the, the fountain, right, to, to come and receive life. And so... Um, yeah, so it's, so this is the the final call, right? Verse seventeen: The spirit and the bride say, "Come, let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price." That's also from Isaiah. Yeah. So I mean, there's just throughout all, and I'm sure there's there's a thousand more that we missed, but throughout all of it, God is calling and and calling people to to life and to redemption and forgiveness, but it's only found 
in Jesus. Mm. And the the end of the the end of the the book of Revelation is a is also a warning, similar right. to Isaiah, right? Right. If you reject this, if you add to these words, take away from these words, you'll be have the plagues added to you as well. So, right. same warning is there. Well, uh, um, amidst judgment and idolatry and a failed people, we have Jesus who saves mm-hmm. us, who gives his life for us. And uh, yeah, God's preparing for us all uh, an amazing home that we can't even imagine fully right now. But we have a, a taste of it right here in Isaiah and Revelation. And yeah, praise God for that good word in the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week.